Welcome to the ISTC monthly podcast where you can keep up to date with what's going on at the ISTC and in technical communications in the UK and globally. The ISTC is the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators and our members work to make scientific and technical information more accessible. I'm Amanda Ma, your host. I'm a member of the ISTC and a freelance technical author. Each month, the podcast team usually brings you interviews with people working in technical communication, but this month we are reviewing the main event of the year for our profession, the Technical Communication UK Conference, known as TCUK. The event has been running this week as an online conference, and your podcast team have been busy covering every presentation and getting some interviews with ISTC President Linda Robbins. So, whether you were able to attend or not, keep listening, and Imogen and I will give you a taste of TC UK Metro 2021. Monday, the 27th of September, saw the beginning of TC UK Metro Online 2021. The topic this year was tech comms, but not as you know it. A playful take on the infamous misquote from Star Trek, the original series. What better way to start this year's event than with a thought-provoking and hugely enjoyable talk by CJ Walker, founder of the company Firehead, specializing in training and recruitment in the digital communication space. She is also the international lead on the ISTC Council. The topic for her talk was changing soft skills in the new workplace. It was a fascinating explanation of the many skills technical communicators possess and a look into how we can utilize these in the face of a changing workplace. CJ began by identifying two main factors that are impacting our role as technical communicators at the minute. These are the fourth industrial revolution, but more on that from Ray Gallon later, and the COVID-19 pandemic. Her talk focused largely on her perspective as a recruiter and how these factors will affect the way we work in the future, and especially how we communicate. I think that it's an irony of the 21st century that we have more communication channels than we've ever had before, and yet, we're still having trouble communicating. This means that we have the technology, um, but it's the connection that we're missing. She went on to explain that hard work is what is listed in your job description, whereas soft work is very different. Hard work can be done at home or in the office. It's what we've been doing during the pandemic, and we've been doing our jobs. But soft work requires communication, teamwork, and ad hoc conversations by the coffee machine, that idle chatter that sparks creativity. But what exactly are soft skills when we talk about soft work? Well, CJ didn't like some of the unquantifiable terms she found when researching what soft skills are. So she prefers to think of them like this. What do human beings add to the equation to make the scenario work? What can we do? Well, guess what? They're not soft skills. They're really all hard skills. You have to have them. This led to a discussion of the soft skills she wanted to touch on. These are curiosity, creativity, communication, and collaboration. CJ talked about how important these skills are for technical communicators. She talked about how hard they are to learn and develop, but she thinks that they are vital for our profession and especially when working remotely. CJ provided us with some tips on how to develop better communication skills in the virtual workplace. Uh, confidence building courses have really helped me. I um, have gone to Toastmasters, which I suggest. They're a riot. They bang on the table, and when you're trying to present something in a foreign language, it's completely nerve-rattling, and you get um, 
thick skin very quickly. I read a wonderful book called uh, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. The subtitle is How to Be a Kind-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. It is essentially uh, developing the idea of putting yourself in the user's shoes or your boss's shoes, uh, empathy. But it all comes down to team communication. I would also suggest setting um, expectations for how you'll communicate in the team at the very beginning, what you're going to deliver and when. It's surprising how much of that gets put to the end. I'm, it's the most basic thing to me if you're working on a project that you define it that way in the beginning. CJ concluded the talk by encouraging us all to adapt to the new workplace. She believes virtual working is here to stay, and we as technical communicators will have lots of work in the future as long as we adapt to the changes that have happened due to the factors she referenced at the start of the talk. Um, you're going to have to adapt. You're going to have to learn. You have to consider that uh, some of the lateral skills and soft skills are important to your job, and maybe they should be in job descriptions. Uh, I consider them as important as the new technology. It comes down to how is your team going to work if they can't communicate and collaborate effectively. After CJ had finished her presentation, a lively discussion began with all the participants where we shared some of our personal experiences from working virtually through the pandemic. People also discussed their take on the soft skills, hard skills debate. It was really engaging and nice to be talking to people again about topics that matter to technical communicators. Overall, the talk was a great start to TCUK Metro Online. For more from CJ, check out the ISTC podcast, July and January editions. You can also find CJ on LinkedIn. Tuesday began at 1pm with the 48th Annual General Meeting of the ISTC. The AGM is a formal meeting that covered financial reports, elections, and it also gave members a chance to hear from and pose questions to ISTC Council members. The Council managed the Institute. It's made up of members who have volunteered to take on various roles for the organisation. Only members of the ISTC are allowed to attend the AGM. So after the meeting, I spoke to President of the Institute, Linda Robbins, and asked her about the issues the ISTC has faced in the last year and what plans it has for the future. The challenge that's probably faced most professional institutes is that we have the prospect of declining membership because particularly many of the younger professionals don't see the importance of belonging to a professional institution. And we know that there are many technical communicators who would benefit from membership, but we need to be able to, to sell our offering to them. Now, having said that, we're feeling reasonably comfortable in as much as we've got a, a good platform to move on to next year from. Yeah. We're working hard with several initiatives to reach out to areas where we have technical communicators who don't belong to the ISTC, uh, possibly because they just haven't heard of the ISTC. We know that there are two areas, really. We're looking at big chunks of industry where we currently effectively have little or no representation. And we've got a number of uh, outreach initiatives to contact the significant people who are uh, in a position to influence a recruitment of uh, would-be members. And alongside of that, we've got the very important thing that a lot of people don't consider themselves as would-be ISTC members, even if they're aware of our existence, because people are called anything other than a technical writer now. Yeah. Um, 
but yes. we need to promote that further. We do have group discounts uh, for companies who have a, a number of members. There's not been a large uptake for that yet. So, again, it's something that we can promote. It's not that we want to go bigger for the sake of it. It's just that we want to do two things. First of all, to be the home of professional technical communicators in the UK. And secondly, by having more members, we've got more scope for giving value to the members. And we've been trying this year to boost the number of resources that are made available to our members. And the ISTC members only page um, on the website, which offers resources to members, we have boosted that this year and we want to expand that. Course accreditation continues and we're hoping to add um, more accredited courses for next year. And I guess it's getting our existing members more actively involved because members who are actually volunteering and doing something for other members usually find that they get benefit themselves in doing this. And it's an opportunity maybe to try something that they wouldn't otherwise have done, as you'll know yourself. (laughs) Another thing we want to do is to do more work with the community groups because they should be able to start face-to-face meeting again also maybe more of the special interest groups. We did have a possibility of a new special interest group for um, air and defence specialists and there are obviously other areas where that's that's possible. So uh, again, really to to make more of it for the members. It's up to us in council to promote the, the possibilities to members because it's certainly true that, you know, the more you put in, the more you can, can get out. Yeah. And, of course, everything becomes easier then because the Institute is seen as a lively community uh, with people who are sharing information and people who are offering their expertise, and it's a, a, a fund of resources and so on. And then when members join, that's what they're joining. Yes, um, the community. Yeah. Excellent. After the AGM, Linda Robbins presented the UK TC award ceremony. There were three award categories, UK Technical Communication Awards, Communicator Journal Awards, and the Professional Recognition Awards. The UK TC Awards recognises the value of clear, concise, and effective information products that have been developed by individuals or teams and the companies that have invested in them. Each entry is reviewed by a panel of judges. There were six UK TC Merit Award winners, and in no particular order they are Carolyn Power and Sarah Evans of the Liaison Group for their temporary help product, Gary Appleton from Aptian Limited for the Aptian Proof of Delivery Online Help, a team from Sri Lanka, Kosan Crisplant Lanka PVT Limited, made up of Oshadi Amarakun, Mohammed Amjad Hassan, Irisha Nilumin Hawavasam, and Olivia Beck for their McKean User Guide product. Karina Lerner-Mayer of Isis Papyrus Europe AG for their Papyrus Correspondence Business Designer Workshop Course Guide. Paul Ballard, representing 3DI in collaboration with UNSA for the UNSA API Documentation Portal. Paul Ballard of 3DI in collaboration with IndigoVision for the IndigoVision Agora Documentation The overall winner of the UK Technical Communications Award for 2021 was Michael Bowler of IBM for their product, IBM Kuram Social Program Management on Kubernetes Runbook. And this is what Michael had to say when he accepted his award. 
So I'm very happy, despite best efforts of Irish Customs and Excise, to accept this trophy on behalf of the Kubernetes team. Thank you very much. The real effort, the real innovation and the design for this run book came mostly from the development team. In fact, almost came entirely from the development team, which was a refreshing change because sometimes development teams treat the product documentation as an afterthought. And I'm sure everybody in this call can appreciate that. But not so with this team. They put the run book and its contents and its design at the centre of their work. So this award, thank you very much again, will take pride of place in our team workspace. Thank you. The next set of awards was for the Communicator Journal. These awards are voted for by the readers of the journal. The Article of the Year Award was presented to Virginia Soares for her article titled A Strong Web Presence in the Summer 2021 edition of the Communicator. The Column of the Year Award was presented to Warren Singer for his Ethical Dilemmas column. Full details of the award entries are now on the UKTC Awards website. Just go to UKTCAwards.com, click Previous Awards, and then go to 2021. And there will be more information about all the winners in the winter edition of Communicator Journal. Finally, it was the Professional Recognition Awards. The Horace Hockley Award is presented by the IST Council to someone who has made a considerable contribution to the technical communications industry over a long period of time. This year, the Council presented the award to Alison Peck, and here's what Linda had to say about Alison's contribution. Alison has been an enthusiastic and influential ITC member over many years and served on council for 12 years. And for three of those years, she was, of course, our president. Over that time, Alison's responsibilities have included TC UK, our education area, books and also surveys, among other things. And one very significant contribution that Alison made over the period which extends into the technical communications industry, was that in 2018, um, Alison managed the coordination of content and production of the fourth edition of Reginald Capp's presentation of technical information. This is one of our, our key ISTC books and published under the ISTC books banner. So I'd like to say from all of us, Alison, congratulations. We're very pleased to give you this Horace Hockley Award, and thank you for all that you have done and all you continue to do. I'm absolutely thrilled to have it. One thing I would say is that I've been a member of the ISTC for a long time and found it by accident. And I think one of the things that we all have to do is to talk about it as much as we can and to as many people as we can. And the other thing I'd like to say is that as far as the ISTC is concerned, the more you give, the more you get. I've learned a fantastic amount during my time with the ISCC Council and just with the organisation as a whole. And thank you very much, everybody. It's very much appreciated. The Mike Austin Award is an occasional award presented by the ISTC Council for a deserving individual in recognition of hard work and commitment in helping the ISTC to achieve and exceed its goals. This year, the Council presented the award to Catherine Judge, and Linda explains why. Catherine was commissioning editor for the ISTC Journal Communicator for 11 years, and also she has been the ISTC Council representative for Communicator. Under Catherine's editorship, the journal has won numerous awards over successive years, and throughout her time as editor, Catherine has always been diligent in researching material, 
exploring trends and reaching out to experts. Um, Catherine, we're delighted to present you with this award and, uh, and congratulations from us. Thank you very much. I'm very honoured to receive the Mike Austin Award in recognition of my services to the ISTC. Uh, thank you for all those who put my name forward. I have benefited, like Alison, so much from actually being a volunteer of the ISTC Council. Thank you. You can find out more information about these professional awards on the ISTC website. Go to istc.org.uk and click on Professional Development and Recognition. The podcast team just want to say congratulations to all the winners of 2021. On the main day of the TCUK Metro online event, Ray Gallon treated us to a stimulating and astute presentation about the fourth industrial revolution and its impact on tech comms. Ray Gallon is the president and co-founder of the Transformation Society. To begin with, he briefly outlined the theory of the fourth industrial revolution. He did this by explaining the other three industrial revolutions that have already happened. The most important thing is uh, the way that the advances of technology have developed. So in the 18th century, we had a situation where humans build machines. And then by the time the 20th century begins, we have machines building machines with mass production and uh, the electrification of production. Uh, by the mid-20th century, we get the cybernetic revolution, which is the first time that we have electronics, computers, uh, uh, eventually uh, microcomputers, and we have machines that are helping us make decisions. And what really sets this new fourth industrial revolution apart is the fact that for the first time, we have machines deciding in the place of humans and without our intervention. The fourth industrial revolution is happening now. And it will only continue to advance more rapidly as technology improves. And one day, we are going to be a long way from user manuals. There are a lot more questions than there are answers. Uh, I certainly don't have, you know, a pocket full of, of quick and easy answers. But I do think we need to raise some of these questions. We need to ask ourselves, in fact, what it means to be a tech com in the middle of all this disruption. And I can tell you that if I know one thing, uh, I can say it's a long way from our traditional user manuals. Ray went on to explain, we are going to have to think about what and how we write as technical communicators. What do we communicate about? As technical communicators in this world, we need to talk about what and how we write. We need to talk about how we organize, manage and deliver content and get it into the hands of users. That's not new. We've always had to do that. We have to continue to do that, but there's something else that we need to do that maybe we haven't talked about so much until now, and that is we need to talk about what we communicate about. That is, what is our subject? He raised the intriguing point that technical communicators will need to learn about how we organize information for machines. Without the information, artificial intelligence remains just that, artificial. To bring this concept into reality and for us to better understand the high-level ideas at play here, Ray gave us a real-world example. That example was Boeing Aircraft Assembly. So this is a case study, a real case study at Boeing Aircraft, where they are using augmented reality to do uh, 3D wiring uh, in the fuselage assemblies of Boeing Aircraft. 
So what you see in the upper right-hand corner here is a technician wearing an AR set of AR goggles working on uh, 3D wiring diagrams that he is able to see in his goggles as he works. So he's getting this information in real time, and it's hands-free. The crux of the presentation came down to the idea that humans are good at certain things and machines are good at certain things, and that is good. That's nothing to be afraid of. Learning to do what we do better to work with machines will be the best way we can continue to be effective technical communicators going forward. We need to render unto the machine that which is the machines and render unto us what we do better than they do. So we should not try to be as stupid as the machine or otherwise turn off our brains. Because if anything, we need human intelligence and the kind of intelligence that technical communicators bring to the field even more in this era of, you know, brave new uh, uh, decision-making in autonomous machines. Because if these new technologies can't help us solve human problems, they're just going to be another world problem. And so my challenge to you, my colleagues and friends, is what are you doing about it? How are you maybe getting out of the sort of mechanics of writing technical communication and thinking about what are our ethical considerations? What are our human interaction considerations? How do we build a collective information store that is reliable and and usable for uh, our users and for the world? Because I do think that we have a role to play in all of this. After the conclusion of his talk, we had a short discussion about all the food for thought we had been given. It was really interesting to hear people's ideas about the future and the future of technical communications. For more from Ray, find him regularly delivering talks or look for him on LinkedIn. The last webinar of the day on Tuesday was presented by Markland Starkey, Head of Content at Government Digital Services, or GDS. Titled Designing Content in a Time of Urgent Change, his talk took us through a tour of the last 18 months in the GDS team. He began by telling us that the GDS was set up in 2011 as part of the Cabinet Office, and he explained its purpose. GDS builds platforms, products, content and services that help create a simple joined up experience of government to everyone. That is our mission as an organisation. This mission has led them to launch the Gov.uk portal in October 2012 and create a suite of products called Government as a Platform, GAAP, that solves common problems across government services. It was good to hear that they tried to work in the open, talking about their work, publishing their code and design principles, and partnering with governments around the world to build better services for their users. Mark then moved on to give some background about the gov.uk website. As the digital home for the UK government, it has a dual role to help people understand government and government understand its people. The content of gov.uk is managed in two tiers. The GDS team are responsible for the most viewed content, which makes up about 2% of the entire content on gov.uk. And then they assist content teams based in government departments to manage the rest of the content. This central role for GDS has meant that they have needed to build strong relationships with other government departments. And this way of managing the content has proved invaluable when working on government policies that have required whole government focus. 
Our work on Brexit and on coronavirus has seen us not uh, seen us work not only very closely with the rest of the Cabinet Office and with Number 10 on digital products to support these priorities, um, but also to work in close collaboration with departments on the high-profile content that they own, um, taking a hands-on approach to helping them plan, draft, sign off and manage their content and bringing departments together to make complex user journeys more simple. It was a result of monitoring peaks in user behaviour that the team spotted a rise in coronavirus searches early in 2020. Um, we do tend to monitor peaks in activity um, in terms of user behaviour to see, especially where things are happening in the media that may require attention on Gov.uk. Um, so this came out as kind of as a result of that exercise. Markland explained that initially this was seen as a Department of Health issue. And DDS then took on that central role of assisting the Department of Health in setting up a landing page for information and GDS would monitor the situation. However, as the days and weeks passed, it became evident that coronavirus was a large crisis that would need whole government focus, affecting many government departments. And we could see as more content was being published at pace, that duplication was starting to creep in, um, where policy areas overlapped or were similar, and user journeys across the content were becoming more confusing or broken. And um, don't forget that, uh, that much of this guidance was being written by departmental content teams who didn't always know what was being planned or written by content teams in other departments. The GDS team decided that coronavirus now needed its own central landing page with new services and links to departments for specific information. Then the first national lockdown came into effect. Um, so gov.uk forward slash coronavirus it's seen 123 million recorded visits since its launch in March 2020. In fact, we've seen more visitors to Gov.uk during the pandemic than at any other time in Gov.uk's history. Uh, we recorded Gov.uk's busiest ever hour on the 4th of January of this year, uh, with 3.2 million recorded users uh, visiting the site between 8 and 9 p.m., following the national lockdown announcement that evening. And through the pandemic, there has been an average of 14 million weekly views to Gov.uk coronavirus content alone, and around 35 million weekly views to Gov.uk as a whole, compared with around 16 million weekly views in 2019. Um, it's maybe unsurprising that we've seen such traffic, though it's continued to reinforce the need for users to find clearly written information and it's something that we've discussed both internally in GDS and across government um, in that time. GDS then launched the Clinically Vulnerable People Service that linked government, local authority and private sector to organise food boxes and supermarket deliveries. They got this service up and running in just four days and are rightly proud of this achievement. They continued to provide information services, creating the support for business page and more recently the international travel service, which links eight different government departments. Throughout the pandemic, the question about trust in the information available online has been a constant background subject. And GDS has also worked on this with Google to ensure that Gov.uk was a source of truth and an available link in user online searches. Finally, Markland reflects on the challenges and lessons learned during coronavirus. When analysing what went right and why, surprisingly, the first reason was Brexit. 
that we'd already had recent experience of working closely and collaboratively with the rest of government on a big problem that encompassed many policy areas and teams, uh, and that was Brexit. Brexit um, was really the first time we at GDS significantly moved beyond our traditional hub-and-spoke model of content management. Coronavirus meant new teams were created, and the GDS team used skills already developed during the Brexit process to again build relationships, explain their role, and build trust. Marklin says content design is still in its infancy in government departments, as it is in so many businesses and organizations. So they are continuing to work to build long-term relationships, change attitudes, and change habits. He ended by thanking the ISTC for presenting the GDS team the Horace Hockley Award last year in recognition of all the amazing work that they have done in such difficult times. If you have any questions for Markland, you can get in touch with Markland Starkey at govuk-inquiries at digital.cabinet-office.gov.uk. The final TCUK Metro online presentation was a riveting look at technical communication in video games by Maria Lurero. The title of her talk was, Is Video Games Translation Dead? Long Live Video Game Translation? Maria is an entrepreneur, independent manager, and trainer in the video game localization industry. She began her talk with a Mike Gregory quote that really resonated with her when she was preparing for her presentation. This quote here from Mike Gregory that reads, The purpose of a technical communicator is to create content that must be easy to understand, focused. The value of this is that it instills a sense of confidence in the user, allowing them to complete the task as efficiently and effectively as possible. And I thought, wow, this is really something that comes to or makes much sense in my mind because we in video games localization, our aim is to make that the gamer of the localized version of the game so that the translated version of the game has the same gaming experience as the gamer of the original version of the game. From this, she went on to explain more about the fascinating topic of video game localization and what exactly it entails. And video games localization is a combination of software localization and multimedia translation. So combining it like if we were translating, for example, McAfee antivirus and at the same time Game of Thrones, for example. So we have these two things to balance, these very technical, very software-oriented uh, texts, and at the same time, these very creative or very literate uh, texts as well. After this, Maria talked a little bit about the difference in languages and how this can raise difficulties in video game localization. She then discussed the different types of text typology in video game localization. These include on-screen tests, manual user guides, marketing text, game design, legal text, and scripts. It was so insightful to hear about all the types of technical communications used in video games. Following on from the types of text, Maria talked about a now infamous mistake in a video game that demonstrated localization issues. It comes from a Japanese um, game called Zero Wing, and um, this uh, mistake comes from the European version of this game for Sega Mega Drive, if I'm not wrong. So, 
this game was created in Japanese and then it was translated into English, okay, by a team. And then this mistake was created. But Maria really wanted to provide a real-world example of a company that has a very successful strategy for localization. This strategy was called Goodbye Source Text. Monesh has created a very disruptive strategy uh, for the translating, for translating and localizing their application. And they have called this strategy Goodbye Source Text. Okay, so um, Monesh, we know it's a, a banking application and uh, there is one person in the localization team, Julia Carditi, she's the head uh, she was, and I think she's still the head of localization in Monez, Julia Tarditi, and she was concerned about the fact that the localized versions of the application, of the Monez application for uh, smartphones, and also the, their website and also their marketing campaigns, did not convert as much as their original counterpart. So she thought, hey, what can be a solution here? Let's remove the source text. Let's free up the translators so they can benefit from creativity and insight. So they don't have to translate, but create content that truly engages and converts potential clients. To conclude, Maria linked her presentation back to the title, Long Live Video Games Transcreation. My conclusion is that maybe it's time to um, to say um, goodbye to translators and hello to writers. So that would be goodbye to translators, to people to ha who have the source text and have to consider it like written stone text and, and translate from that. And hello to people uh, that create text from scratch, maybe it's time to say hello to writers and say hello to you. After the talk, participants were full of questions about translation versus transcreation and the future of video games translation, with some insights about how humour works within the context of translation. It was the perfect conclusion to a week of technical communication talks. For more from Maria, find her on LinkedIn. While this has been just a taster of the webinars and events of the week, you will soon be able to see the full recordings on the TC UK website. Just go to technicalcommunicationuk.com, click on past events, and then click TC UK 2021 presentations. As the conference drew to a close, I asked President of the ISTC, Linda Robbins, for her reflections. For many years, TC UK has been a three-day residential conference, then the ISTC Council decided to change the event format and try a one-day conference based in London for 2020. Obviously, the pandemic put a halt to those plans, and both last year and this year's conference have had to move online. What do you think are the pros and cons of the online event this year, and can you give us an insight into what you have planned for UK 2022? This year, because we were effectively forced into having an online conference again, it gave us the opportunity to improve on last year. The awards uh, presentation element, that was better because we knew how to present that and to make sure that all the participants were able to sort of focus on 
the winning entries or the, you know, the Merit Award winning entries, tell you a bit about the entry, and then we gave the winners the opportunity to speak. And that, I think, worked well. As far as the, um, the webinars, question and answer sessions afterwards, I was very happy with those in as much as I felt that our delegates were fully engaged um, in the presentations. The question and answer sessions meant that we built on the presentations. So that I thought was good. Uh, what are the benefits of, of online? Well, I guess fundamentally, people who couldn't get away for a face-to-face conference are able to attend virtually. What you're missing then is the networking and spending time with other members and so on. You, yeah. It's no substitute for that. It has to be said. I mean, you can see some smiling faces and there's a bit of chat virtually, but it, it's, it's not like um, face-to-face at all. Yeah. Um, I think that we all recognise that there's a, a great benefit for face-to-face and particularly with members who are our lone workers, that one of the, the important elements of conference has been the ability to meet with other technical communicators yeah. to talk about real life um, work problems and so on. And just to have that camaraderie of finding people who, who do the same as you or something similar to you and have the same uh, challenges as you and so on. You can get a flavour of that online, but it's not. I don't think it's, it's the same as meeting up. In terms of what we plan to do next year, I guess that our motivation is let's give this one-day conference based in London a go, the one we never got to try, yes. um, and see how that works. The residential, three-day residential, it's a difficult thing to manage and make sure that we can get value for our, our members. It's a big undertaking. Our motivation in part in in thinking and going for this one day conference, there may be many people who can sign up to a one day conference who couldn't necessarily come for all or part of the of the three day conference. So that could be an annual event. But, you know, could we put something else on at a different time of year? You know, it doesn't necessarily need to be only once a year in that case. Yeah, because you have been experimenting with the um, TCUK online monthly that's a, yeah, that's a very, very good point that's, that came out of the last year's online conference and, and has fantastically continued throughout the year. And I think that's been extremely good. I think one very good thing about that is that it shows that we're doing something every month in the same way as you're running your podcast every month. There's always something different coming from ISTC. So it's not a, the big thing that ISTC does is TCUK once a year. Yeah. ICC is doing something all the time and we are providing something for our members every month. Yeah. Both and, podcast and, and um, online sessions. Yeah. So yeah. the benefit is continuous throughout the year, not just one three day conference that you have to go yeah. to in order to get your benefit of being a member. Yes. Yes. If you've got something you can dip into each month as suits you and as you're available, then that's a different, larger community. Yeah. That's it for this month and for TCUK Metro this year. Join us next month for a return to normal scheduling with another fascinating interview with Amanda and a technical communicator in an exciting field. We hope this has been insightful for anyone who has been unable to attend or just an enjoyable and digestible recap for people who did take part. Remember, we have some exciting upcoming events. On Tuesday the 12th of October at 1pm, Chewy Chewy Tan will give a presentation on getting to know your international audiences as part of the TCUK monthly event schedule. 
And don't forget, for the latest detail on upcoming training courses, check out your monthly ISTC newsletter. If you have a question about the podcast, feel free to email me or Amanda at istc at istc.org.uk. A new episode of this podcast is released on the last Friday of every month. Amanda and I want to thank everyone who took part in making TC UK Metro Online happen. It is a challenging time to organise events like these, but I think the ISTC put on another fantastic virtual event. A big thanks to all the presenters for giving up their time to talk to us as well. Until next year. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe and share. You can find out more about the Institute for Scientific and Technical Communicators at istc.org.uk or just search ISTC on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to tune in next month. Goodbye.